Amen. All right. If you don't have a Bible, grab one out of the back. Back there on that back table. Two stacks of blue ones there. Definitely going to use those tonight. So tell me again who we talked about last week. Tamar. We're, we're continuing in this Grandma Did What series that we're talking about. And if, if you've missed any of this, I know that sounds kind of strange, but what we've been doing is we started a couple weeks ago and we looked at Matthew chapter 1. And in Matthew chapter 1, you've got the lineage of Jesus, kind of his family tree. Now, not everybody's included there, but there's a lot of different names that are in there. And one of the things that stands out about that is the fact that that women are listed in that family lineage because that's just not something that was done during that time. The family was always traced through the man. So for Matthew to go out of his way to list women in that family line, that was a big deal. But even more interesting in that is it's not just any old grandma that he lists. The four women that he lists in there of the five, there's five of them, but four that are the grandmothers of Jesus there's some pretty crazy stuff that goes on in their lives. In fact, if, if you weren't here last week, Tamar, she was a lady who got married. Her husband died, so she married that guy's brother. He died, so she needed to have a son, wanted to have kids that technically would be her, her first dead husband's children. So what she does is she dresses up, pretends to be a prostitute, messes around with her father-in-law, and has twin boys. And we look at that and think, what in the world is going on there? And yet, when we look at the lineage of Jesus, Tamar's one of Jesus' grandmas. And we look at how God used that in that family line. And this week, as we're jumping back into it, we're looking at the next one that shows up in Matthew chapter 1. We're looking at Rahab. Has anybody ever heard of Rahab before? Yeah? Did you say no? Yeah, I know. It was a joke. Rahab, she's a lady. We find out about her in uh, Joshua chapter 2. That's where we're going to be tonight. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, I didn't tell you unless it's on the screen already. Yep, there it is. Joshua 2, we're going to be in verses 1 through 14 because in Joshua 2, that's really the first place that we hear about Rahab. We see her there. We see her a little bit in Joshua 6. And then her name shows up in Matthew in Jesus' lineage. And then again, she's referenced in Hebrews chapter 11, like in one little sentence there. So we don't know a lot about her, but what we do know is found here in Joshua chapter 2. And just kind of set the scene for where we are. We're picking up Joshua is leading Israel. What has happened is the nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. And God raised up Moses and said, you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. So he leads Moses and the people of Israel out of Egypt. And yet when they come out of Egypt... They start complaining and saying, you know, we should have gone back because life was better in Egypt. At least we had food. At least we had shelter. And God says, okay, so since you're complaining, you're going to wander around the desert for the next 40 years. And all of that generation that came out of Egypt, Scripture tells us, they died off and a new generation rose up. And Joshua is now leading that generation, that new nation of Israel. And what he's doing is he's leading them to a place that's known in Scripture as the promised land. If you go way back in Scripture and you look at a guy named Abraham, God made a covenant. That means God made a promise to this guy named Abraham. And God said, if you will be my people, I will be your God. And I will take care of you and I will provide for you. And one of the things God said in that is God said, this, this is the lamb that I'm going to give you. So now Joshua is actually leading the nation of Israel several generations later to the land that God promised to Abraham way back then. 
So they come to this land and they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan River and, and they know going into this land, there's other people that live there. So it's, it, it's, it's like you walking up to a house and going, hmm, really like this house, so I'm just going to walk in and this is going to be my house now. There's a pretty good chance somebody lives in that house. And you're not going to be able to just walk in and make it your own. You're going to have to do something about the people that are living there. First of all, I hope you wouldn't just try to take somebody's house. But that's the best example that we've got. So they're coming up to this land, and they're, they're getting ready to go into the land of Canaan. But the problem is there are people there. And in order for them to take over this land that God has promised them, that means they're going to have to do something about the people that are there. They're going to have to go in and fight. They're going to have to go to war so that they can conquer these people and have this land that God has promised to them. So that's where we pick up right now. In Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, we pick up where they are there, they are getting ready to go in, and Joshua says, hey, you know what, before we go in, we should probably check this place out. So he sends some spies over there. And that's exactly what's happening in Joshua 2, verse 1. So if you would, please stand with me in honor of reading of God's Word. And we're going to read verses 1 through 14, and then we'll back up. What's that? Can you read it? Get up here and read it then. Right here in this microphone. 2, 1 through 14. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the and it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel who have come here tonight to search out the land. The, then the king of Jericho sent Rahab sent to Rahab, saying Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house. Bring out, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me. But I did not know where they were from. But when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hit, hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid and order on the roof. So men, the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to, to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us, and that all 
the inhabitants of the land melt away before you, and for we for we have heard heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you you when you came out of Egypt and what did you what did what you did to the two kings of Amorites? Amorites. Amorites. Who who were beyond to the Jordan to Sihon mm-hmm. and Og whom devoted to destruction as soon as we heard it our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God and he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath now then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with with you you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my, my father and mother my my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death and the the men said her our life for your even to death if you do not tell this business of ours then when the lord gives up the land we will deal kindly and faithfully with you all right thank you nathan go have a seat guys <laughs> good y'all y'all can give him a hand for being willing to get up there and read that's that's hard pray with me guys god we thank you we thank you for the opportunity to come together god i pray um, that as we walk through this tonight as we see what's going on in this passage god help us to learn what we're supposed to learn it's in jesus name we pray amen so that's there, there's some tough names in that passage but if we back up to verse one it says this listen to it and joshua the son of nun sent two men secretly from shittim as spies saying go view the land especially jericho and they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So as we step into this, all we know is we've got two spies. They're going into the land and the first city that they're going into is Jericho. Now, we don't know why or how they chose to go to Rahab's house. There's a lot of different theories out there, but we really don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. What we do know is that they were there to gather information on this city because they were trying to help their entire nation, their whole people group, overthrow this city. And for whatever reason, God places them in this house. He says his people, their plan or God's plan for his people to take over this land involves these spies being in the home of Rahab. And and that matters for us because there's going to be times when we look at this story and we think that doesn't make any sense. Why would God use this woman? Of all of the people in the city, and this, this was not a small city, this was a big city. Of all the people in this city, why would he use Rahab? And the reason that matters is because sometimes I think we ask the same question now. Maybe we ask the question about ourselves or we ask it about other people and we look at somebody that God decides to use and we think, why them? 
What, what, what's special about them? You know, God, do you, do you know who they are? Do you know their background? Do you know the things that they've done? Do you know the people they've been involved with? God, why in the world would you choose them? Or sometimes we feel like, God, why me? God, do, do you know? Have, have you been watching? Have you been listening? And yet what we see here is that a lot of times God will use the person that we least expect. God will use the person that, that you and I would not choose in ways that only he can use them. And that's exactly what he does here. Some way, somehow, God arranged this meeting so that these spies would be safe in her house. So we've got to be careful when it comes to seeing God use people. And sometimes us thinking that God wants to use us, sometimes we're very quick to dismiss people. God's not going to use them. God's not going to speak through them. God's not going to use them. And yet, that may be exactly what God's going to do. I can almost guarantee you that probably wouldn't have been the first choice for those spies. And yet, that's exactly the appointment that God had set up. That's why that matters for us that we see this here. And as they go into this house, it says in verse 2, it says, And it was told to the king of Jericho. Now remember, they're spies. The very next verse, it was told to the king of Jericho. Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So we've got two spies and they're in the house of Rahab, but it seems pretty quickly that maybe they weren't necessarily that great at being sneaky spies. Because the very next verse after we find out they're spies there, the king of Jericho already knows that they're there. Now again, as I said a minute ago, Jericho was a, a, a city, it was a town in the Palestine area, but all of these cities here, when it says king, those were kind of like independent city-states. It's, it's kind of like the states. You've got the state of Georgia, you've got the state of Florida, and every one of those has their own governor, somebody who's just kind of over that area, that state. That's the way this king was. He was, he was king over this area, but it was more like a, a city, more like a town. So for him to already know what's going on here, it kind of makes sense because the place wasn't that big. It's, it's kind of like in, in Camden County when, when things start happening or something's getting built or things are going on, you know pretty quick what's going on. Everybody finds out what's going on. And that's what happens right here is these spies come in and they know exactly what's happening very fast or the king knows exactly what's happening. He finds out. He sends word to Rahab to hand them over. But look at what Rahab does. Does, does she turn them over? No. What's she do? She hides them. But as she's hiding them, what does she do to the king's men? Mm. She lies to them. She just straight up lies to them. Hey, they were here, but they left. They didn't say where they came from. I don't know where they came from. So you need to go find them and you need to catch them. They ran out of the gate as the gate was closing. You need to understand in a city like this and during this time, when the city gate closed, it closed at nighttime. And when it closed... It didn't open again until the sun came up. So for her to tell this lie and to say, hey, they left, they ran out of the city, she's basically saying, hey, I'm going to send you on this wild goose chase. Because once those men leave the city looking for the spies, they're not getting back in until daytime. 
So that's, that's a pretty big lie that she's told here. And in doing so, what she's done is she's really basically just committed an act of treason. So she's not only lied, but now she's kind of put her life on the line so that she can make sure these men are safe. What she's doing here is she's making a choice to pledge her allegiance to these people and, and to their God. Now, she hasn't said that yet, but she's at least pledging it to the men that she's trying to keep safe. And look at what happens in verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. Do you guys know the way that roofs were kind of built in that time and in that location? Yeah, there, there would be some straw and stuff. Were they roofs like the roofs on your house? No? What'd they look like? Yeah, for most of them, they were flat. So people could actually go up on the roof. People could be out there and, and they would apparently take things up there like stalks of flax and lay them out. So they go up there and she hides them. But remember, all of this is happening because she told a lie. Was it okay for Rahab to lie? How many think yes? It was okay for her to lie. I'm, I'm not. What's that? If it's for God. I mean, I'm, I'm not judging your answer. I'm just curious, what do you think? How many would say yes, it was right for her to lie because she was taking care of God's people? How many would say no, she lied? Okay. <laughs> I always like asking questions like that. When you were taught when you were little, were you taught that lying was right or wrong? Why? You were taught it was right? You were? Well, you're lying right now. Because I know your parents, and I know that's not true. Okay, so busted. What, what, you were taught that lying was wrong, right? Why were you taught that lying was wrong? Finn? Okay. So people need to be able to trust you, okay? So your, your word matters. Yes, Miss Crosby. It's a sin, okay? Okay, it's a sin. And that was going to be my next question is what does God's word say about it? God's word says it's a sin. It's, it's, it's not something that we're supposed to do. And yet she does it right here and God seems to use that. And sometimes when we come across things like that, that can be kind of confusing because it, it almost seems like what we're seeing happen is something that contradicts what God's Word teaches us. But you need to under, consider this. At this point in time, to the best of our knowledge, Rahab didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ or with God. Jesus hadn't come physically yet. But Rahab didn't have a relationship with God. So for her to lie at that point in her life, it probably wasn't anything that was on her mind. It probably wasn't that big of a deal. Now, again, we don't know that specifically because it doesn't tell us that. But if you sit here tonight and you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit working in you so that when you tell a lie, I hope that little red flag pops up and says that was wrong. Even though you did it, you know it was wrong. For her, we don't know if she knew that or not. We, we don't know what would have happened if she had been truthful, if she had said, why, yes, I do have two spies here. Would you like to meet them? We don't know how God would have played that out. But at this point in time, what we see here 
is we don't see, I want to make sure you don't see an endorsement here for lying because it's for a good thing. Because that's not what Scripture's saying. Really, Scripture's kind of quiet on it. Because you can't stop. If we stopped and Scripture condemned every single thing that every single person in Scripture did wrong, this book would be two to three times its size right now. What we're seeing here in Scripture is just, this is what happened. Is it wrong to lie? Yeah, of course it is. Is that where Rahab was with God? We don't know. But there's a pretty good chance she wasn't. So it moves right past that. And yes, we do see that even though lying is wrong and it is a sin, for some reason, God chose to use that sinful action to carry out His plan anyway. And look at what happens in verse 7. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So now you've got two things happening. You've got the men who have chased after the spies, and they're stuck outside the city. And now you've got the spies who are stuck inside the city. They're trapped in enemy territory. Remember, the reason they're there is to get information so they can go back to the Israelite nation and they can take over this city. And up until this time, we haven't really known what Rahab's motivation is. We haven't known what's going on in her head. But as we move into verse 8, we begin to get a picture. Look at what it says in verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sahon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now we start to get a glimpse of why she is doing what she's doing. Because it's amazing that when God starts to work, people know about it. They can't always explain it. They don't always understand it. But people know when God's working. Rahab tells these spies that, that her people have already heard about what their God has done. The fact that, that they've crossed over here. The fact that, that they had these other kings that they've devoted to destruction. That, that God parted the Red Sea and let the entire nation of Israel cross over on dry land. They know how God has allowed them to overthrow these other kingdoms. And quite frankly, they're scared. Because they've heard of God's greatness and it has them frightened even though they haven't witnessed it themselves. They know that God is going to do something big. There's a mental game going on here and God has gotten into their heads. But don't miss something else that's happening here. And it's very easy to miss if you're not paying attention. Rahab uses some very specific words. In that last sentence there, she says, and as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. And pay attention here. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab is using language that is used elsewhere in scripture about God. 
Almost that exact same verbiage, God in the heavens above and on the earth below, is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. When God is giving the Ten Commandments, He says this, He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. This is crazy right here. Because what Rahab is doing is she is using words that these men would have been familiar with because they've been around God. They've been around God's commands. They know what His law says. They know what the Ten Commandments say. And now you've got a woman who doesn't know God saying the same words that God has already given His people. God, God is using this woman and, and to the best of our knowledge, she's submitting to Him. She's saying, your God is the God. Your God is the God in heaven. Your God is the God on earth below. And she's pledging her allegiance to Him. Which is why she's doing everything that she's doing. Because guys, she wouldn't know those words. She wouldn't know that exact phrasing of the words that God gave to His people on her own. That's God doing that. And that's an incredible thing that we see there. And then it goes on in verse 12. She makes a deal with him. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What we're seeing here is that Rahab has a hope that God is who He says He is. And that He's going to do what He says He's going to do. She has the hope that these people of God, she can trust that when they leave, they're going to come back and they're going to keep her word and her entire family is going to be saved. And it's that hope that moved her to this action. She had no guarantee when she started this whole thing that any of this was going to work out in her favor. But she had hope that God and His people would provide salvation from the destruction that was coming. And if you go on and you continue to read in that chapter, verses 15 through 24, what you see is that, that she helped the spies. Her house or her, her room, however that was built, was actually built into the city wall so that she was able to help them escape through the city wall out of a window in her home. And what they tell her is they say, hey, when we come back, when we take over this city, when we destroy everything, here's what you need to do. You need to take a scarlet thread, your scarlet rope, you need to put it out of your window so that we know that that's where you are. And bring everybody in your family, everybody in your house, and keep them there. So as we're coming into the city, as long as everybody stays in your house with that marker on your window, they're going to be safe. And if something happens to them, these spies say, that's on us. But he says, if, if you send them out, if they come out of your house, then that's on you. And if you read that passage and see what happens... They come in, Joshua, and they take over the city. Jericho falls, and Rahab and her family, every one of them is saved. And if you continue to read what happens, Scripture tells us she went on to live with the Israelites. She went on to marry a man by the name of Salmon. 
And those two end up having a son by the name of Boaz. And Boaz ends up marrying a woman named Ruth. And we're going to start digging into her story next week. Because this is one of the other grandmas of Jesus. And that's a whole nother crazy tale. And there's all kinds of stuff happening right here that plays into the relationship that you see between Boaz and Ruth. See guys, the reason this is important for us is one of the reasons as we said last week. It doesn't matter the mistakes we've made in our past. God can redeem that. And God can use that if we will turn and put our faith and trust in Him. It matters because the, the Savior, the Messiah, was the grandson of a woman that nobody would have picked to be his grandmother. A woman that lived a life that didn't honor God. And, and if you search through the whole Old Testament, you see time and time again, you see pictures of the gospel of Jesus Christ right here in the Old Testament. That's, that's what's happening right here. How God can take a woman who had openly lived her life in defiance to who God is and everything that God stands for and calls us to, and yet God takes her heart and changes her heart and changes her life and changes her eternity. And He grafts her into the lineage, lineage of Jesus because she was saved by faith. That's what Hebrews 11 tells us. What we see here is we see a picture of redemption from the life of somebody that spit in the face of God. And, and it's not just redemption, but, but God, there's glory that's brought to God through the rest of her life. Most of us here, we wouldn't pick Rahab to be one of our grandmothers, much less the grandmother of Jesus. But God had a different plan for her life than the one that she chose. And the plan that He had for her it was, it was unbelievable compared to the life that she chose for herself. But she had to make a choice. She had to choose where her allegiance was going to be. It was going to be to what she wanted and the life she had planned out and the people that she had surrounded herself with up to this point or it was going to be to God and the woman that He had created her to be. And guys, that's the same choice that every single one of us faces. We are surrounded by people every single day. People that have expectations on your life. People that, that think and tell you to act a certain way and behave a certain way. And that's exactly what was happening in her life. She had a reputation because of the way that she had conducted herself. So she just lived out that reputation. And yet there came a point in time where she had the opportunity to say, that's not who I am anymore. I'm going to put my allegiance with God. I'm going to follow Him. And in following Him, God took her life and redeemed her life and grafted her into the lineage of Jesus Christ. It's the same thing He offers every single one of us. He offers us the opportunity to make that choice to say, I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm going to be the person that God's created me to be. And, and there's some of you in here tonight, you, you've been around church your entire life and you've never made that choice. You've come to church because people expect you to come to church. You read your Bible because people expect you to read your Bible. You sing the songs because people expect you to. And yet you've never actually chosen to put your faith and trust in Jesus and follow God. And, and if you're here tonight and that's you, this is going to sound harsh, but it's time to make a choice. Who are you going to follow? 
Where's your life going to be? Where's your allegiance going to be? Because you can't play the game and it can't be in both places. You guys have heard me say this over and over again. The people you surround yourself with, you are surrounding yourself with people who are either pushing you towards God or pulling you away from God. And that's true about you with your friends too. You're either pushing people towards God or pulling them away. And all of that depends on your relationship. So if you're here tonight and you've never made that choice, but you're ready to, we're going to stand up in a minute. We're going to sing. I would love to talk to you about that. One of the other adults in this room would love to talk to you about making that choice and what it looks like to put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. Don't miss the opportunity you have to do that. If you're here tonight and you've already made that choice, it may be time to start living it. It may be time to start showing people. Rahab, she put her life on the line because she made a choice to follow God. For you, maybe it's friendships you need to put on the line. Maybe it's a relationship with that guy or that girl. Maybe it's the reputation that you've built up, but it's not the reputation that God's called you to pursue. Maybe it's time for you to make a choice that you're all in that you're going to risk everything for him. And if you're here tonight and you're ready to do that, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Talk to God about that. Maybe write that on that prayer card and drop it in this basket so that we can pray for you as you make that choice. But just like Rahab, God is calling us to give everything to him, to risk everything for him. And in doing so, he redeemed this woman redeemed her life and put her on a course that made her a part of changing history as one of the grandmas of Jesus. That may be what God wants to do with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are, God. We thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come together and we can worship you. And God, I pray right now God, help us all to be willing to risk everything for you. Help us to know that we belong to you, God. God, we just thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Mm -hmm.